We couldn't do a Love the Berg series without talking about Pittsburgh's favorite neighbor, Mr. Rogers. So today we're going to take a look at Mr. Rogers' life um, and how it was a reflection of who Jesus is to the people around him. But before we get started, let's uh, pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this time that we can come together and just hear your word, Lord. I pray that our hearts are open to hearing what you have to say this morning, um, just hearing the message that Fred Rogers had in his life and how it was a reflection of who Jesus was, Lord. And we just pray that as we um, go through this, uh, your word this morning and what you have to say to us that we are hearing and listening to you, Lord. We just pray that we can be a great, great examples of what a neighbor is to the people around us um, and love the people around us the way that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Let's think about this. How many people in this room have seen an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Raise your hand. Just about everybody, or a lot of people at least. What are the first two words you think of when you think of Fred Rogers? When you think of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, what are the first two words you think of? Kindness. I hear kindness. I hear love. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But Fred grew up in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, so east of Pittsburgh. And one of the defining moments of his life is when he was a child, he was bullied. A group of kids in his class bullied him to the point where he didn't even want to go back to school. They made fun of his weight. They made fun of how he looked because he was kind of an awkward child. And so at that moment, as a child, he determined, I am never going to make anybody feel the way those people made me feel. And so was set before him a life that was all about making people feel good about themselves. He goes to seminary to school to become a Presbyterian minister. And in the second year of his ministry... He watches a children's TV program. And in this children's TV program, a child is hitting someone in the face with a pie. And at that moment, he determines, this isn't right. This isn't right. This is teaching kids that it's okay to demean other people, to put other people down, to make other people feel bad. So in an age when television was pretty new, Mr. Rogers left seminary, and he said, I am going to make a TV program that teaches children how to love and know that they are loved. So he changes the whole trajectory of his life, somewhat, because of a program that he saw. His kindness and caring was apparent in everything he did for 33 years. It was visible to kids across America and his TV program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. For 33 years, he tackled tough issues like divorce, death, bullying, racism, anger, and war. This was a children's TV program. No other programs were touching these topics. They still don't, because no one can understand how you can talk about those things to kids, but he did. And many would even argue me included, that he wasn't just talking to children. He was talking to us, too. 
He was talking to the grown-ups. He was helping to be an example for grown-ups on what does it look like to love the children in your life, to love the people around you, to be a good neighbor. And so this may seem like a silly concept, right? This idea that Fred Rogers would say, I love you just the way you are. He would come onto his program and he would say, I love you just the way you are. And as a person that grew up in a household with two loving parents and loving parents in a, in a good family and parent, where, place where parents loved you, it might seem silly. But think of the tens of thousands of children that heard that message for the first time from him. Think of the tens of thousands of children that never heard from a loving adult, I love you just the way you are. That was Fred Rogers' mission. That's what he was going to be. He was going to tell children, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter your race, no matter what your economic status is, you are loved and you have worth. And he would say in his program, I love you just the way you are. So one quote that Mr. Rogers is, is specifically known for is he says, I feel so strongly that deep and simple is far more essential than shallow and complex. We live in a complex world, a shallow and complex world, a world where information flies by at the speed of light. We hold devices in our hand and we flip through Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and the information is flying by. But we never really dig deep. We never really learn a lot about the things that are flying by. We live in a simple or, yeah, a shallow and complex world. And Mr. Rogers said, that's not right. We should be deep and complex, or deep, deep and simple, not shallow and complex. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to strive to be deep and simple. I want to keep it simple and keep it practical so that we can try to see how he lived his life and then hopefully be an example to the people around us. So when we talk about loving disconnected people, the message today is about loving disconnected people. We need to understand that there's two sides of that coin. If there's disconnected people, then there's connected people. Some of us in this room may feel like we're connected. Others may feel like we're not. So if you're feeling disconnected this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to help you find some practical ways to get connected, and I want you to feel like you are loved and that you are cared for. And if you're connected this morning, I want to do the exact same thing. I want to encourage you. I want you to feel, let you know that you are loved and that you are cared for. So let's talk about disconnected people first. I feel disconnected. And the question you may be asking yourself is, I feel disconnected, but what do I do? What do I do about it? Well, the truth is that many of the people that who, would, who would feel this way are not sitting in this room this morning, right? Logic tells us that if you're disconnected, you're probably not here. The second truth is that many of the people in this room right now feel disconnected but won't tell you. So if you're a member of the first group, there's not a whole lot I can do for you because you're not here. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But if you're a member of the second group and you're here but you feel disconnected, I want to encourage you, you're here, and that's awesome. You've taken the first step, even though you felt disconnected, you said, I'm going to show up anyway. And no matter what the circumstances are, and no matter the reason that you're sitting in this room this morning, I hope you leave encouraged. 
Whatever those circumstances, I hope you, there's one hope that I really have for you, and I hope that is that you recognize that Jesus invites you to connect with him. No matter the people that are around you, no matter who's sitting next to you, no matter who is in the chair around you or the chairs next to you, Jesus invites you to connect with him. So if you're feeling disconnected this morning, I would say that's the first relationship you want to look at. How's your relationship with Jesus? Because he's already invited you to connect with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites you to connect with him. He says, come to me. Strive to have a relationship with me, and I will give you rest. I will help you to feel connected when you feel disconnected. That doesn't involve anyone else. It doesn't involve anything else. It involves you getting personal with Jesus. Fred Rogers would put it this way. Won't you be, please won't you be my neighbor? An invitation to connect, an invitation to be near me, an invitation to come and be a part of what I'm doing, an invitation to be close to me. Think about this. In 1969, Martin Luther King was murdered a year earlier, 1968. The civil rights movement had made progress but was still a long way off from being finished. The summer, that summer, many swimming pools were striving to be not segregated. So, but what was happening is it was angering people. People got mad because they, black people were allowed to swim in their swimming pools. And you saw it in the video, right? So if black children were swimming in the pe- swimming pool, people would come up, and this is horrific, they would dump chemicals in the swimming pool to chase the black children out of the pool. Fred Rogers saw this and he was horrified. He couldn't believe that this would be happening to, any, to a human being, no matter their color or race or economic status. So what does he do? He puts everything on the line. His show had only been on for a few months at that point, but he decides, we need to make a stand. I need to make a point to show people that this is wrong. And we saw it in the video that was at the beginning. What he did is he invited his neighbor over. He invited his neighbor to be close with him. Officer Clemens was African-American. And not, does he, not only does he invite Officer Clemens over to his house, but he, offer, he offers to wash his feet, to be in his pool with him. He made a statement. He invited someone to be close to him as an example to other people to say that this isn't right. The way we're treating people is not right. He lived out an example of Jesus Christ to the people around him. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus says, come to me, all all of you that are weary. Come to me, all of you that are burdened. He invited them close to give them rest. And Mr. Rogers did the same thing. Jesus knew that he came for disconnected people. He came for the weary and the burdened. He tried to help them find rest in an often crazy world. And that was Mr. Rogers' goal as well. The second thing, if if you feel disconnected today, I want you to understand is that you're part of a bigger whole. You're part of a bigger whole. What does that mean? It means that there's something that you're doing and some reason that you're here and a some reason you're a part of impact that is, is, there's a purpose to it. 
There's a purpose. There's a reason that you are special and uniquely qualified to be doing something for God's mission here at Impact or here in Moon Township. Fred would say it this way. He would say, you've made this a special day, Freddie, just by being yourself. There's only one person like you. He would say that on his show. He would say, you've made this a special day just by being you. But that's actually a quote from his grandfather. His grandfather would say that to him when he was young. And he remembered that. And he passed that on to other kids. You're special just by being you. You're unique. You make the day special by your uniqueness. And if you're feeling disconnected today, understand that your uniqueness and what you have to offer is special and important. It's important to the completing God's mission here at Impact. Just by living, you have a chance to make it a special day just by being who you are and who God created you to be. One of the things that helps me when I'm feeling disconnected is that I try to remember that God has a purpose for all our lives. There's a larger plan that I may not be able to see, but that I'm uniquely qualified to be a part of. God wants to use imperfect people to complete a perfect, uh, a perfect work. We see many imperfect people used to accomplish the mission, missions in the Bible. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I don't connect because I'm not good enough, how could God use me? I would direct you to Romans 5.8. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loves us even when we're in sin. Christ loves us even when we're imperfect. Christ can use me even when I'm imperfect. So when I don't connect, there's something in God's plan that he's having to readjust or change to complete. I'm a piece of this puzzle, and when I'm not there, he's got to find another puzzle piece to fit in that piece. Or he's got to readjust his plan so that it can be completed. And if I don't connect... I'm causing that to happen. You're a part of a bigger plan. You're a part of what we're doing here. You're important. You're uniquely qualified for the mission that God has us on. So some practical ways to connect. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I just don't know how to connect. I don't know what that means or how how do I get connected. I would encourage you to join a growth group. Growth groups are where we do life together. We meet each week. We talk. We learn about each other's families. We help each other grow spiritually. Growth groups are important. Join a growth group. Join a ministry team. You know, I've heard so many people say that joining a ministry team was one of the best things they ever did on their spiritual journey. One of the best things they ever did was to join a team where they're working together to complete God's mission here at Impact. Being a part of that team, you grow closer to the people you're with. You're doing something together. You're not just sitting and thinking about how I'm disconnected or how I'm I'm not good enough or I'm not whatever. You're out there. You're putting action to those words. You're joining with one another to complete a mission, and that helps us to draw closer together. And the last thing I would say is make it a point to meet someone new. Look around you. This church is full of good people. I like most of you, Um, but I love all of you. See, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, But look around. There's great people in this church, and they want to get to know you. If you're feeling disconnected, take that first step. Say hi. Meet someone new this morning. 
Someone is here that will have a cup of coffee with you, sit down and talk about how they, you can feel more connected and feel more a part of what's going on here at Impact. So let's take a look at the other side of the coin. I'm connected. What do I do? What's my job? What's my purpose? I already feel connected, Seth. I'm in a growth group. I serve on a ministry team. I have lots of friends at the church. Things are great. Things are good. But what's my purpose? What do I do? Well, let's take a look at Matthew 22, 35 through 40. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. We talked about keeping it simple, right? Mr. Rogers said, let's keep it simple and deep. Love God and love your neighbor. You're feeling, discon- or you're feeling connected today? Keep doing that. Love God and love your neighbor. It's as simple as that. We overcomplicate it too often. We make it about us. We make it about all the things that we can do. We make it about all these other things and stuff, and we get into fights and arguments, and we want to do it one way, and someone else wants to do it another way, and it becomes issues, and we've got concerns and problems because we make it too complex. Love God. Love your neighbor. So what, what does it look like to love God? What does that mean? We love God by reading our Bible. We read our Bible, we learn his word, we hear what he's saying to us, we try to understand more about what he means in, in what he's saying to us. We try to memorize scripture and, and, and put it on our heart and understand the whole purpose of, this, of scripture as a whole. We love God through reading our Bible. We love God by worshiping. We come to this place each week and we are here to worship God. And church, I don't mean to be rude, but I look around sometimes and it doesn't look like people are worshiping God. One of the ways as connected people that we show an example to the people around us that are disconnected is that we come in here excited about our relationship with who God is and what he's done for our lives, who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives. We express that in worship. We express that through singing songs. We love God by giving back our time and talents and finances to advance his mission. We give back not to get something for ourselves. We, get, we give back so that we can advance the mission of God. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. And we love God by praying. There's no better way to stay connected to God than to take time every day to slow down and shut things off and have a conversation with him. We stay connected through prayer. So let's talk about loving our neighbors. What does that look like? What does it mean to love our neighbors? We love our neighbors when we pursue a deeper relationship than a nod and a wave. How many people have uh, nod and wave neighbors? Nobody? I'm the only one? A couple people, I guess. Nod and wave neighbors, right? You come out the door, you nod, you wave, you say, hey, how's it going? They might say, oh, it's going good. You get in your car and leave, right? We when we love our neighbors, we pursue a relationship beyond nod and wave. Do you know your neighbor's names? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know their pets' names? Do you know what they're struggling with? 
Do you know what an issue, do you know issues that they're having that you could be helping with? I think there was a time when people would support their neighbors if they were going through something. Where now it's sometimes it feels like we're so disconnected and so running in so many directions that we don't even stop to help the people that are right next door. We walk right past the people that are hurting because we're so focused on getting to the next place. Loving our neighbors means knowing where they're at, knowing what they're struggling with, knowing what their hurts are in their lives, and taking the time to not just know those things, but to help them. We love our neighbors when we serve them. When's the last time you served a neighbor? Honestly, I came from a great family. I came from a family that showed me an example of serving your neighbor probably better than anyone could want to see. My parents served the neighbor, their neighbors like nobody else. If neighbors needed something, my dad and my mom were there. If they were hurting, my dad and my mom were there. Serving their neighbors. If they needed someone done, they had seven kids. They would send us all over to get it done. Serving your neighbor. When's the last time you did it? Find out something that your neighbor needs and give it to them. Help them. Mow their lawn. Trim their hedges. They're going through something hard. Make them a meal. Find ways to serve your neighbors. We love our neighbors when we see someone that is disconnected and we invite them to be our neighbor no matter what it costs us. No matter who our neighbor is, no matter what they look like, no matter how awkward they are, how uncomfortable it might be, but when we invite them to be near us, we love our neighbors. Another thing we need to understand is that if we're already connected, people see Jesus when, when we love one another. When we love one another, people see Jesus. It's a one-for-one. One. If I'm loving someone, they're seeing Jesus. I'm a reflection of what Jesus has done for me. When we interact with each other as a church, and it's good, people see that, and it's a reflection of what Jesus has done for us, and people see it and they go, oh, I get Jesus' love because I see it in the people and how they act. So John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Nothing pushes a person that is disconnected further from a relationship with Jesus than when they see people that proclaim to be Christians but don't love one another. Let that sink in for a second. Nothing pushes people away than when they see people that proclaim to be Christians not loving one another. So how are we loving each other, church? Are we doing a good job at it? Jesus tells us in the verse that we are to love one another as we have been loved. We are to be willing to die for one another as Jesus died for us. But truth be told, many of us had a hard time even getting bruised for one another. We're called to die for one another, folks. Jesus died for us because he loved us so much. Yet we have trouble even doing some of the most basic things to love one another. 
We've got to love one another in a way that when someone comes into this place, they see a love that they've never seen before, a love that changes who they are because they see us loving one another and they go, this is unbelievable because it's a reflection of the way Jesus has loved us. So the other way that Another way that as connected people we can help other people get connected is to be present and truly give time and attention to others. Fred Rogers would say the best thing we can offer someone is our honest self. Be present. What does that mean? Mr. Rogers had an uncanny ability of connecting with people. I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of the documentaries that were out, and I know there's going to be a movie about them in November, and, um, but if you watch it, it's unbelievable to hear people talk about their experiences of just spending even a few moments with him. He had an uncanny ability to connect with people. He, people would say that if, when you were talking to him, it was like nothing else mattered, like there was nothing else he was focused on. He was solely focused on you and who you are, and your concerns, and where you are at. I actually had a chance to work with a guy um, in a previous job, and he got a chance to meet him when he was a young kid, and he said it was almost like a spiritual experience. He said sitting in front of him and talking to him was almost like a spiritual experience because he was so focused on him. He said he only spoke to him for a few minutes, but he said it was like everything else went away. Are we connecting with people like that? Do people feel like we're connecting with them? When we talk to them, when we talk to people that are hurting, when we talk to disconnected people, do they feel like we're truly connecting and present? Or do they feel like we're distracted? Being present means that you're focused on one thing at a time, completely focused. That means no phones, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, no news, no sports but completely focused on the person in front of you. People feel valued when you have a conversation without distractions. This is a tough one for me. I'm speaking to myself here. It's tough. It's tough to put the phone down. It's tough to turn the TV off. It's tough to not look at something else and think about things that are going on. There's people that are sitting here right now that probably aren't even hearing what I'm saying because you're thinking about a picnic you're going to have later. They're not laughing because they didn't hear me. We've got to be present. God has you in a seat here this morning for a reason. He wants you to hear something. And if we're not present and we're not here and we're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on, we're missing it. And we live in a generation where it's getting harder and harder. You go to the store, you go anywhere, and you see people with their phones in front of their face and they're about to walk into a wall because they're so not present we got to put the phones down. we got to have a lunch with someone where we're not worried about our next meeting. We've got to think about the time that we're spending with people and do they truly feel like you are the person that is most important in my life right now. I don't care about anything else except for what is in front of me right now. we got to be present, guys. we got to be present, church. And it's me included. I I struggle with it just as much as anybody else does. This is what Mr. Rogers was probably 
the most amazing at. When I say that I admire Mr. Rogers, it's this. It's the ability to connect with people. It fascinates me. To hear people talk that way, I'm so far away from that that it fascinates me that someone can be that connected when they speak with people. So how do we do it? I don't know. If you're looking for an answer to that question, you're not going to get it this morning because I don't know. But I do know that I can practice doing it. I do know that I can get better at doing it. I do know that I can find people that are good at it and try to be around them more often. That's how we get better at stuff. And if you're already good at it, let me know because I'd like to have lunch with you so we can talk about it. That's how we get better at things. And one of the things we've got to get better at is connecting and be present. Here's another truth. Not everyone is going to connect. It's a freeing truth a little bit, to be honest with you guys. Not everybody's going to connect. Jesus understood this, and we need to understand it too. Not everybody's going to connect to the message of freedom and forgiveness that Jesus offered. My job isn't to save people. Jesus did that. My job's to love people. Jesus put us here to love people. He did the saving. He's done the hard work. He has done everything that we would need to save us. My job is to love people and reflect that love to them. Reflect Jesus' love to them. That's my job. That's what we're here for, guys. So it doesn't get me off the, off the hook, right? Just because we say, well, not everybody's going to make the choice to connect, it doesn't give me, get me off the hook. It means I need to try to connect and love, with the, love those people even more. It doesn't get me off the hook. I can't say, well, listen, you've chosen to not be a Christian. You've chosen to not love Jesus. So you know what? I don't need to spend time with you. I'm going to go spend time with these people over here. That's not the way it works. The way it works is, if someone makes that choice, I need to love them even more. I need to reflect the love of Jesus to them even more. Being present and loving no matter what is what Jesus would do. And it's what Fred Rogers reflected in his, his character. So for the last few minutes, I want to talk about legacy. So what about legacy? What's your legacy? Do you ever think about that? If it all ended tomorrow, what would you leave behind? Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So what does that mean? Your children's children. It's not just your children. It's not, you're not just affecting the next generation. You're not just affecting your kids. You're affecting your kids' kids. And I believe, you know, in Proverbs it's talking about money and inheritance and wealth and leaving them with that. But I think it's also talking about character. It's about leaving behind character. So what was Mr. Rogers' legacy? So think back to the question we asked at the beginning, and I heard a couple people say what they were thinking, but what were the first two words that came to your mind when you thought of Mr. Rogers? I think it would be safe to assume that many people had words like kind, caring, loving, compassionate, or maybe even an advocate. That's his legacy. Most of you only saw him on a television show, but that's his legacy. 
He left that behind for the next generation and probably the next generation and the next generation. How amazing would it be for our, our legacy to be those words, kind, caring, loving, compassionate, and an advocate. He left an inheritance in how he lived and interacted with people that will endure far beyond his time here on earth. He reflected the legacy of Jesus. He continued the mission that was started on the cross by loving the people around him and trying to repair a broken world. Jesus died on the cross to repair a broken world, to bring lost people back to him. And that was Fred Rogers' mission. He went back to school, got his degree to be a Presbyterian minister, even after he started the program. And while the program wasn't overtly Christian, everything he talked about, every message he sent, everything that he addressed reflected his Christian values, reflected who Jesus was, reflected how Jesus had touched his life when he needed it the most, when he was a kid and being bullied, and it reflected it to the people around him, reflected it to the people that saw his program. So how about you? The people in your line of sight, your people at work, your friends, your neighbors, if they were asked the same question, what would the answer be? If someone said, think of two words when you think of Seth, I'm afraid what they would think or what they would say, right? Some of us would be really afraid of what they might say. We've got to think about that, guys. That's our legacy. What would my kids say? If I asked my kids, if we pulled them out of children's ministry and brought them over here, I would be scared to ask them that question up on this stage. Because you guys would all hear some dirty secrets of how dad's angry and dad's not this and dad's not that. we got to think about that. That's the legacy. That's the legacy I'm leaving behind. And how I treat them and how I treat my wife and how I treat my family is how they're going to treat, most likely, their wives and their families. It's the inheritance that I'm giving them. Fred Rogers demonstrated characteristics that drew people to him. People wanted to, to talk to him. People wanted to be draw, were drawn towards him because of those characteristics. When we show love and compassion and kindness and caring, people are drawn toward us. My fear is, me included, we don't always show those things so people aren't drawn towards us. Imagine if we were a church that when people looked at us, they said, Man, impact, they're loving and compassionate and caring, and I think they do. I think we are. But if we're constantly demonstrating that, people will be drawn to us, not because of who we are, but because that's a reflection of what Jesus has done for us. We love because Jesus loved us. We care because Jesus cared about us. We're compassionate because Jesus is compassionate for us. I kind of see it as the parable of the mustard seed, right? The parable of the mustard seed, this tiny little thing turns into something big. Jesus is talking about faith when he talks about it, but I think it, it could also be referred to in legacy, right? When we come into this world, we're given this tiny mustard seed, and it's our responsibility to care and love and, and keep it and make sure that it grows into something big that we can pass on to the next generation, 
that we pass on to our kids and our kids' kids. And that's what Fred Rogers did. He he took a mustard seed and he turned it into a big bush. He turned it into something he could pass on to the next generation. He saw what Jesus did and he reflected it back to the people around him. So impact loves disconnected people, just like Jesus. The problem with loving disconnected people is that our hope is that one day, no one in this community will be disconnected. Our hope is that 100% of the people in this community will not be disconnected. That's our goal. That's what Jesus wants. It may not happen, and it probably won't, because people are going to make the choice to not connect. People are going to make the choice to not connect to who Jesus is. But it's our goal. And man, if God makes it so that 100% of the people in this community connect, then we'll just head on over to Pittsburgh, and we'll see if we can get those people to connect too. And then we'll head to the rest of the state, and we'll see if we can get them to connect. And then we'll head to the rest of the world and see if we can get them to connect. That's the mission, guys. Church, that's the mission. The mission is that 100% of the people come to a connecting, saving relationship with Christ. That's what we're here for. We're not here to bicker. We're not here to fight. We're not here to argue. We're not here to cause division. We're here to love one another so that that love is reflected to the community around us and they go, man, there's something different about those people. There's something different about those people. The way they love one another. There's got to be something. And then we get to say, there is something about us. We've been loved by a Savior so much that he came and died for us when we didn't deserve it. He was beaten and crucified and died for our sins when we didn't deserve it. That's our goal, church. Our goal is to connect everyone. Then the secondary goal is to love everyone, whether they're connected or not, whether they choose to follow Jesus or not, whether they're black, white, green, purple, yellow, orange, whether they're rich, whether they're poor. Our other goal is to love 100% of the people that we come in contact with. It's a tough goal, but that's what we're called to do. And my hope is, my ultimate hope is, that we can say, won't you be my neighbor, and really mean it. That we can say to this community, we want you to be our neighbor. We want to invite you to be close to us. And no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what sin you're dealing with, no matter what you're struggling with, we want you to be our neighbor. We want to love you like Jesus loved us. And hopefully, hopefully, church, we can do it. Let's pray.